Hello, welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 34, where the business case meets the moral case with Will Kirkpatrick, Head of Sustainability Operations at O2. So how are you doing? I hope you're well. Um, This is falling on relatively quickly from episode 33 and our discussion with Elisa Goldenberg and a continuation of our reflections around the theme of community for Q4. Uh, So all of these episodes were actually recorded within a week of each other at the end of November, not quite as condensed as the Q3 focus on travel, which was then subsequently uh, broadcast within a couple of days of each other also, but still nevertheless quite condensed. And and I'm thinking that this is quite an efficient way actually forward to to think about the podcast and, uh, and, and, and more closely link the themes and discussions that that I have in each episode. And, and looking into, you know, 2021 and, and maybe possible changes again on the podcast, all these things are um, kind of floating around my head and, and, and thinking about ways to to improve it and, and connect better with the audience and, and to grow the audience, hopefully, um, and, and just to kind of think about my own development as I go through this podcast. So more of those reflections in, in episode 35, which will be the final one of the year. Uh, as I teed up in the last episode introduction, which was the first time that I'd done that as a, as a video message also, I talked about just doing a very quick catch-up as I normally do from time to time with what we're doing here in Barcelona. And I, and I guess it's kind of reflective of, you know, our overall experience this year during the pandemic. You know, if I think about what happened in March, then there was a real sense of panic because I'm sure many people would have experienced, you know, I run my own business and all of the bookings that we had for the year were, were basically cancelled from, from one day to the next. So there's a real worry there, right, about thinking about the rest of the year. Um, but thankfully, the last couple of months have been the busiest that we've ever had. And I think that is reflective of the need for well-being, positive leadership, behaviour change, all of these things that, that I've been working on for over a decade. Uh, and I think organisations now are really realising the importance of a lot of these things that's coming front and centre. And you, you're seeing so much evidence of that uh, increasing awareness, right? Not only on an organisational level, but even with government policy and the funding that's coming uh, next year and, and huge mental health initiatives and, and things like that. And it's so encouraging to see that and so encouraging to see so many more people working in this field of well-being. I actually just had a conversation this morning uh, with someone and, and, and just reflecting on the use of the word well-being, right? And even going back maybe just five years or more, I didn't often use that word when we were pitching clients. You know, many clients were frightened from this, from, from with, with the use of the word, right? And, um, and, and sometimes still there is that reticence to fully engage with the concept of well-being as if it's a compromise on performance, right? But I think that thankfully is... is is slowly but surely loosening and and you know aligning with the the mission of the platform of Chief Wellbeing Officer, which is to elevate well-being as a more strategic concern. Right, so things have been going, and again, I'm very thankful for that. Really well in the last couple of months, really busy. We've had company-wide programs with clients, including Arla Foods, uh, several engagements with them, with Salesforce and EMEA and also the global leadership team of Salesforce in San Francisco, which 
um, was a 10 p.m. start for me as a as a strong lark. That wasn't easy, uh, but other ones with beat who are uh, ride sharing up and and competitor up and coming competitors to Uber, uh, SAP with a long program there with leaders from Barcelona, Cairo, and Dublin that just finished uh, at the end of November. And all of that while going on with our workplace wellbeing campaign with TickTrack, which is software as a service. And that's been great, right? So each week I've been held accountable by those guys, a great team there, Cecilia and Martin and all the rest of them, that I have to produce content, a short form article or short video clip or audio clip, and that's that's a lot of fun. Looking ahead to the next couple of weeks before really uh, going on vacation, looking forward to that. We've got assignments coming up with GSK, uh, with Phoenix Group, uh, formerly Standard Life, and also a couple of calls with GLG. So lots going on, and again, very grateful for that. And, you know, from talks that last one hour on any topic of well-being or positive leadership up to programs which last six weeks or more. And, you know, I like to think that we're having impact on people who are maybe having a tough time this year, some people who have been through burnout, some people who are finding it difficult to just, you know, keep going in, in what has been a long year and a lot of pandemic fatigue setting in so that gives me a lot of energy to keep doing what I do as well Um, and look if you're interested in any of these aspects you want to learn more about some of the work that we do then please do get in touch via the email address on the website of Leadership Academy Barcelona which is thelabcn.com you can find me on social media quite easily as well so to this episode with Will who I've known for a couple of years he's a great guy I got to know him through uh, a lot of the work that we used to do with Telefonica and he is now the head of sustainability operations for O2. And, you know, he was one of the main reasons that I thought about this issue of community, right? And a lot of the work that we've done previously in corporate social responsibility, which is a big part of Will's current mission. And it was a great discussion. Um, we talked, first of all, on a personal level of, of Will's experiences in his own local community where he lives and just talking about and how the pandemic has actually shifted us back, right? And even his kids having the experience that maybe some of us had growing up uh, where we're playing outside more and there's less cars on the streets and uh, and things like that. And even just getting to know his neighbours a little bit more um, through different initiatives and, and different outreach that has been going on where he lived. And that's such an interesting opening that we can all reflect on um, in terms of how we want to live our lives uh, and how we engage with people you know, who, who live near us and, and how involved we are with the local community. So, there, you know, there's different ways that we can look at this concept of community through these three episodes. And that was an interesting one that I that I was keen to, to, to talk about. So that was great with Will. And then we moved on to a lot of the work that is very specific to his role within O2. And thinking about how O2 as a digital telecommunications provider can help with this aspect of community and thinking about people who are vulnerable, who aren't connected at this time uh, and who can be helped, right, whether it be aspects of digital transformation or just simply being connected to others while there may be restrictions and maybe they're confined to their homes. So that was an interesting discussion and actually led us to the title of this episode, right, and and we'll come up with that, is that where the business case meets the moral case. So there's many things in terms of what an organisation can do to engage more with the community and society at large and to help people out, right? And I think we've seen many examples of that during the pandemic and even in the last 
uh, Q3 focus of travel. We've seen examples of that coming from Hilton and Uber. Um, and you can check out the details on, on those episodes. Um, but it's an important thing, right? And and we, you know, the help has to be given from, from all quarters. And, and a business, it isn't just about the business, right? It's about how they engage with the wider society. But that also will add value to the the business itself, uh, and, and, and especially in the longer term. So there's that real aspect of sustainable value creation, which we cover in this conversation with Will. And then more generally, we get to how organisations can actually add value uh, regardless of the sector and how they can take more of an interest in the, the wider society and the issues that face the wider society. And look, this, this tees us up perfectly for the next episode, episode 35, which I actually just recorded yesterday, um, uh, uh, and thinking about how we might actually start redesigning business and, and what is the purpose of business. And I think if one thing has came from the pandemic, it's actually it's given us this reset button to actually think about what is the world that we want to try and design and support and, and, and work in as we emerge from the real confines of, of this pandemic. So I think that was the main aspects with Will's a great conversation with Will. Thanks to him for his time and energy and insights. Uh, as ever, keep well. Thank you again for tuning in. And I'll see you very soon for the final episode of the year 35. But enjoy this one. This is episode 34 with Will Kirkpatrick, where the business case meets the moral case. Keep well. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye for now. Ciao. Welcome, Will, to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. Where are you, where are you connecting from today? Uh, I'm connecting from Acton in London, which is a very large borough um, of, of London within, within Ealing. And look, there's a lot of, like many places in the world, but obviously I'm keeping a close eye on a lot of the changes in the UK at the moment. And um, as with many places in Europe, escalating restrictions. So how's it going in that regard right now? Uh, we're in a lockdown at the moment. Um, most shops seem to be open, essential shops, and we're allowed out. So it's not too bad. Um, hopefully we'll be out early December. Yeah, that's the hope, right? And then we can enjoy Christmas to, to some extent. So, you know, I asked that just to kind of see how you're doing, but also uh, it connects to the the focus of our of our conversation which is community so you know the community can be affected when there's these type of restrictions and i know that you take a personal interest or you have been taking uh, more of a personal interest in the last few months in, in your local community can you just talk through some of these things and and how you're seeing what's happening near where you live right now due to the pandemic yeah i mean like like many people across the uk and many many communities um, during the first lockdown, we all created a WhatsApp group on our street and um, that WhatsApp group was there designed to enable people to help each other, to support each other, to buy goods, you know, to, to deliver medicine and, and that sort of thing. And um, that community that we has continued and it's sort of evolved, which has been really great and exciting. So through our street we've organized things like street clear-ups we did a street um, gardening activity in the communal areas and everybody's really got to know each other a lot better 
on a street where we rewind seven, eight months ago, uh, we were all strangers. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's been great on our street. And um, the other thing I'd say is in our local neighborhood, a lot of the businesses who've been really struggling have um, had to become digital and to build their social media presence on our local channels. And everybody's really been rallying behind those businesses. They've, you know, shifted their business to do much more uh, local deliveries and, and that sort of thing. And we're all changing our behaviours to shop local and, and really get behind and support our local businesses. So loads of really positives coming out of it for us. Yeah. No, that's great to hear. I mean, you know, in terms of some of those initial comments, then I see that, you know, you're looking out for perhaps the more vulnerable in the local community, right? Um, and, and and I saw similar initiatives here in Barcelona. So maybe elderly residents who couldn't get out for shopping as easily or even, you know, receiving medicine when they needed it. So that that's great on 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 that vulnerability side and just getting more involved. And, and I think even with the case of, of the local businesses, it might be the case that we're, you know, we're appreciating more of the things that are on our doorstep, right? Um, even if you look at what the restrictions did over the summer, and a lot of people, you know, might have complained initially of not having their uh, foreign ho- holiday, let's say, and, and maybe complained that they're not going to get as much sunshine in the UK. But the whole aspect of staycations and then just really appreciating what you have nearby, it goes counter to a lot of the trends in recent years. And then we find out that it could be things that are around the corner that really we haven't been aware of in the past. But so you you have that greater involvement just where you are, that local kind of nearby community, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we've seen a massive reconnection with people's local environments. Um, I saw a survey the other day that said um, 36% of people had discovered new green spaces near their home. Um, so we're all getting out and exploring our local streets. We're bumping into our neighbours more. We're socialising, exercising and, and meeting much more uh, in local. So, you know, I definitely think there's a big connection between the physical space and your feeling of um, community. Um, in my community, something interesting happened where because of COVID, uh, local authorities were allowed to push through emergency measures to uh, block off streets, which um, since the advent of smartphones and, you know, maps becoming ubiquitous, we've seen huge increases in traffic through residential areas. And so the council blocked off a number of streets um, with a view to creating greener, healthier neighbourhoods and encouraging uh, people to, to to sort of boost their fitness, to, to prevent against, um, you know, um, COVID. Uh, and what that's done is to enable walkers and cyclists and kids really to reclaim the streets. So, you know, again, for my kids, I'm seeing them running up and down the streets with the kids in the neighbourhood in a way that really wasn't possible before COVID. And it, you know, it reminds me of, of my youth. So, Hmm. You know, definitely big, big changes to how we're interacting in 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 the physical community. Yeah, no, that, that that's a a big love of mine. Looking at kind of urban infrastructure and how that affects behaviour, um, and even the whole concept. There's there's been a few academics and authors over the years that have looked at the concept of the 
the 15 minute city. Um, there's an academic in France and, and other models are looking at the 20 minute um, city and there's work in Glasgow taking place also and, and actually how we can cater for all of our needs within that much smaller um, uh, geographic area. And, and one of the uh, impacts of that is that we don't need to have such a heavy reliance on cars, right? That we can go cycling and walking um, and, and just worldwide, you know, the, the incidence during the pandemic of levels of, of walking uh, and, and bicycle use is, in, is improved. Not all the behaviours have been positive, of course. You're talking about, you know, the, the percentage rise and people being aware of green spaces. You know, World Health Organization talking about alcohol use also increasing substantially during some parts of lockdown. So there's there's the good and the bad as well, right, for for people. But even just that urban mobility. And then, you know, I was aware also at the beginning of the pandemic, cities like Milan, um, who are redesigning their urban infrastructure and giving over, right at the beginning, it was over 35 kilometres of, of roads that were previously only for cars to pedestrians and cyclists. So it's great to see some of this dialing back of of the local you know urban infrastructure. And if you're if it's reminding you, and I do remember also just being more carefree and running around where we lived, right? When we were growing up, then then that's really progress and in, in in my view. So that, that that's great. You know, the, yeah. the digital transformation aspect that you mentioned for the small businesses is really fascinating as well. And then that maybe takes us into your, you know, your professional role. Um, so you're the head of sustainability operations at O2. Um, and, and there's really lots of that we can get into here in terms of what O2 does. And But let, let's start with the sustainability part, because that naturally connects to notions of community, right? Can you explain a little bit more what, what your role is involved in and how you conceive community within sustainability? Yeah, so I'm part of the leadership team in, in the sustainability area. And, you know, we're essentially there to look at um the strategy the initiatives and then the campaigns that we develop to help to make a positive impact in society in the community uh, but also to generate you know a positive impact for our brand as well we've always been interested in how we can play a greater role in supporting and engaging the community so uh, you know going back over the last decade uh, one of our big initiatives was Think Big, and that was there to support the development of young people. And we gave thousands of grants to young people in their local area who had ideas to positively support and engage in their local communities. We also created an initiative to help young people into, into the world of work. And that was really driven by a community of young people. So we actually recruited a team of young people to, to drive that initiative. So it was very much driven for young people and, and by people. So now we have a greater focus on the environment. And you know, the first thing we need to do as a business is really to get our own house in order to decarbonize our business. Um, and that's something that we've done this year, which we started to, to set out our ambition with our goal to be net zero by 2025. But I think what's becoming increasingly important and interesting for us is um, looking at these shifts that are happening in society 
the the increase in localization, the increase in digital to be able to um, to empower cause creators to start mini movements and to impact change. And how do we, as a business, set support those types of um, audiences and create a really meaningful role for our brand? So that's definitely something that we're very interested in and something that we're looking at going forwards. Yeah, no, that's very interesting because that's there's another that's a distinct avenue there, right? Because um, you know you could look at the relationship between O2 and and the broader community or society, and and if we think about conventional views of sustainability or corporate social responsibility, whatever you want to call it, is about that that business contract, right? So how, how you as a business have that responsible role within the society in in which you operate. But then you're also looking at how you can empower, let's say, you, these cause creators to actually do that that job as well. And one of the other episodes that we have in this theme of communities with Elisa Goldenberg at the Wellbeing Project and a lot of their work is with social change agents and social entrepreneurs to try and mobilize change so that we have, you know, a more well, fairer society. So it's fascinating to hear that you guys have that mission of trying to really help these these cause creators um, make a difference, right? And 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 I think it's recognizing the power of the community that surrounds us, and it's recognizing the power of kind of the grassroots movements and and and, and things like that, right? Yeah, I mean, huge power. I mean, yeah, I met recently with the Royal Voluntary Service, um, and I don't know if you, you know about them, but they were set up in World War Two, and they had over a million women volunteers during during the war effort, and recently they partnered up with the nhs and um they created this for the first responders and they appealed for 250,000 people to step forward to to take part in that scheme and within three days they had 750,000 people wow. who'd signed up um and they've had since then 360,000 active volunteers and they've just seen their millionth task created so i mean that for me is just one example of the appetite out there for people in our community to get involved if you can give them the the platform to do it so i think it's um, hugely exciting if you can if you can help create that platform and programs for people to engage with yeah and and that brings us to you know what o2 can do specifically you know I, i'm keen to hear your views on how um, you know, any organisation or any brand can uh, can leverage this aspect of community for mutual mutual value, right? Is um, you know adding value to community, but also recognising that a business is still a business, right? Um, but for O2 specifically, given that you guys work in this space of you know digital mobile communications, then I would think that that fits very well with. The, the the current context and the, and the shared experience or trauma that we're all living through, right? Because a lot of prob- a lot of people uh, rather have issues around the world in terms of you know that vulnerability that we talked about earlier, that isolation and and just even that communication to to make sure that vulnerable people can stay connected to the community is is uh, is very valuable. Is there anything specific in terms of what O2 does as a business that is connecting to the current situation that you can talk about? Yeah, so 
you know, whilst, uh, you know, the lockdown has connected people, you know, in an increase in new and exciting ways through digital, you know, many are being left behind and there's definitely this big digital divide that we're seeing. So it's estimated that there's an 11 million people in the UK who are digitally excluded. So that means they don't have the technology or the, the connectivity to um, access the internet. And if you think about, you know, how much of our lives is, is online now, um, you know, this is particularly compounding issues around educational inequality. So that's something we've looked to lean into. And we have a scheme called Community Calling, which is uh, through a, part, a charity partner called Hubbub. And what we're looking to do is to distribute um, mobile phones and provide connectivity for some of the most vulnerable people in society. So we're rolling that out across cities across the UK. And, you know, we work with uh, local um, organisations, local charities, to identify those people most in need in the community. And we're also asking our customers to route through their, their drawers and to pull out their unwanted smartphones and to donate those. So that's, you know, that's one example. Um, I think outside of O2, another example that, that I, I've noticed recently is, uh, you know, there's a huge issue around youth services. So, you know, we know that um, COVID has affected young people in a disproportionately negative way, you know, soaring unemployment affecting young people, the prospects are pretty bleak. There were an estimated 40% of youth clubs closed um, during the years of austerity. And I spoke to the um, chief executive of the National Youth Agency recently, who thought that a further 20% um, would close because they couldn't um, survive economically with the impact of lockdown. So, you know, we're seeing huge pressure on, on the youth sector a trustee of a youth club in Bermondsey called the Downside Fisher Youth Club. So I know firsthand, you know, what a struggle it is to keep afloat. But I noticed that Burberry recently um, got involved and, um, you know, they're, they're funding 20 youth clubs to help them to survive in these times. So I think that's another meaningful example for me of a brand actively getting involved. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's needed. I think brand have a moral obligation to help um but i think there's you know great opportunity you know for them to positively impact uh, on their reputation as well if they if they're seen to be doing the right thing absolutely um and that's the thing right i mean you we can look at this time in history as you know really traumatic but also as an opportunity for for us all to kind of redesign what's been going on right and and actually to, to build back in a more positive fashion. And we hope that's going to be the case. So what we're drawing out in this conversation, we're, we're looking at different aspects that might help us to, um, you know, design that, that better world. But of course, we can't forget that some groups will really, you know, struggle and suffer during this time. And, and you know, there are disadvantaged groups. There are people who are stuck in... Um, maybe low-skilled employment, education for a certain group of people is going to be really affected. So there are some real negative effects that we have to 
be aware of, I think, no? And I think what I'm detecting from your comments there is that organisations, they have to be aware of these things as, as well, right? I mean, it's not completely separated. Um, you know, it's just not just in a, an altruistic or philanthropic way, but it's not completely separated from the business either. Um, do you see more of an appetite for that happening? Do you think businesses have more of that realisation that they need to be aware of these issues and get involved? I think so. You know, we're definitely seeing an increase in uh, businesses stepping up to the immediate challenge of COVID, um, but, but going further as well to think about how they can, you know, actively engage with uh, communities. I saw a, an outdoor poster the other day from the, op, um, the cooperative um, group, um, which has a big supermarket presence in the UK. And you know, they, they had a message that they're doubling their community investment and they're, they're already very active in the community. So, you know, again, that was a that was a strong signal for me. I think, you know, the fact is that because of COVID, uh, customers are now retreating to things that matter most to them. And that's, you know, me, my family, uh, my local community and, you know, their behaviors are changing in terms of their shopping behaviors, uh, in terms of their leisure behaviors. And I think businesses have to respond to that. You know, consumers going en masse to large city center destinations. And so, you know, we have to find new ways to engage our audiences, both in a, you know, CSR type of way, but also. Thinking about you know our products and services and and how they really help customers in in this new context. Yeah, and I, and I think right there, there's two or three um, points that help make the case. Should that you know even be required for organisations that they really need to pay attention to these changes because it is in the best interests of their sustainable their own sustainable sur- survival as as a business, right? So as you say, behaviour change is a big part of that. And, and you know, even in our own work in Barcelona, we look a lot at, at habits and behavior change. And normally on an individual level, in terms of how leaders, mostly leaders, but really anyone in an organization, um, you know, how they drive their day in terms of their habits and their well-being and how that affects others. So it's an, in, it's an area that we've been working in for a while. And even if we consider how the amount of time that it takes for a behavior to be locked in, right? That synaptic process that goes on in your brain for new behaviors to take hold or for uh, an existing behavior to break. And because we're in this abnormal phase where our environment is changing and our daily reality is changing, and that's been going on for a significant amount of time now, you know, there's no guarantee that the changes that have taken place are by any means temporary, right? So organizations, they have to really pay attention to how people are changing in terms of how they, you know, how they spend their time during the day, you know, where they go, how they spend their money, their their purchase decisions, and what's influencing them. And these are all very important, um, you know, business data that they have to be aware of, right? Um, and and so that behaviour change part is really connected to this whole aspect of community. Yeah, 
And, you know, I, I, I heard another stat the other day that in April, there was a 4,000% increase in Google searches for terms related to sustainable living. Mm. So people thinking about, you know, how do they repair things? How do they make the best out of uh, leftovers? Um, things relating to gardening. So, you know, again, big, big changes in terms of this sort of awakening, really, of consumers into the fragility of uh, the world and the fact that people do need to be prepared to make some changes in terms of their daily habits. So, you know, sustainability, you know, for us is certainly, it is about doing the right thing, but, you know, it has to be about where the business case meets the moral case because that's where, you know, we'll get uh, increased traction. You know, the more good we can do in society and the better it is for business, the, the better everybody benefits. Absolutely. And, you know, in terms of those changes for people looking at sustainable living, I think a lot of it, and it comes back to one of the previous points that you made, that people are now appreciating what's important for them in their lives, right? And in many ways, we've been forced to slow down. We still have busy days, absolutely. But it's not, and again, it's not a case for everyone, but most of us, we have a little bit more space in terms of reflecting on the way that we've been living our lives, right? So before COVID, you know, a thousand miles an hour and maybe not really reflecting on what was happening because it was, we are in that routine, right? We're on that hamster wheel, let's say. And because things have changed in the past several months, we've been broken out of that cycle. We've been broken out of those patterns. And I think we are beginning to really reappraise what is important. And that, I think, is about reflecting on our own individual role within the world and how we as an individual connect to communities, right? And I, and I think that's where the real fascinating reflections and opportunities are. Maybe coming to just closing off and, and, and recognize, you know, being thinking about the time here, but another part of that aspect of connecting the business case to the moral case, again, is with one of your previous points on engagement, right? And, and studies have shown during the pandemic um, that when employees within an organization are involved in something that they see is making a difference to societal good, then their engagement increases, right? And we've seen cases of phenomenal achievements in a short amount of time during the pandemic, right? You know, real, uh, you know, impressive projects, turnarounds in several weeks that maybe previously would have taken several months because they had to do it. But the, the key factor also was that people were engaged. They, they saw that they were delivering good, whether it was uh, regarding, you know, uh, care for NHS or frontline health workers or food security or, you know, looking after the vulnerable in society. And when you talk about the Royal Voluntary Service, studies also show that when we volunteer, it improves our mental health, right? So in terms of engagement, I think that's a real strong uh, issue to say to organizations, look, be aware of these aspects of community, um, get involved because you're going to engage your workforce and the performance is going to go through the roof as well. What, what have you seen so far in your own team in sustainability and, and around O2? even though your awareness might be a little bit lower because everyone's working from home, but what's going on within your organization right now in terms of engagement? Yeah, I mean, it's been incredible. Um, Doing the right thing has always been a big part of the DNA at O2, and I talked about 
some of the historical things that we've done with programs like Think Big. But last year, um, in 2019, before COVID, uh, over a third of our employees gave time to volunteer or fundraise, which I think is, is phenomenal. L- little did we know this year what would happen. And I was amazed at the company response to COVID. You know, this wasn't activity that was being driven out of the CSR department. This was a completely integrated and cross-business response, you know, mm. at every level. Um, you know, most notably from our network teams who were working around the clock to keep the UK connected, uh, putting up connectivity for the Nightingale temporary hospitals that were being built. You know, it was a, it was a great effort on on many fronts. I think um, more broadly, uh, we're seeing a lot more community behaviour within our organisation. So um, we've had networks for a while now, like Women's Network, LGBT, uh, the BAME Network, which is now called Reach. And this year we created a new environment, which is called the Greener Network. And these are uh, forums that come together to share best practice, to think about how O2 can improve its performance against um, these goals and to come up with with new ideas. And even though we've all been working remotely and digitally, we found really great ways to um, do good in a virtual way, in in a working from home way. So this uh, International Volunteering Week, we um, did a tree planting scheme where uh, we made green pledges and we we sent them saplings in the post and they planted um, saplings in their neighborhood and uh, we had 500 employees taking part in in making green pledges and you know it builds incredible pride in the business you know people are not just proud about what we're doing as business out in the community but by fostering a a sense of community within the workplace uh, it's incredibly powerful and galvanizing and I suppose the other thing I'd, I'd just say on a professional level is how digital has enabled this kind of supercharging of networking. So the ability for you to be able to connect with people in a similar field, people from all over the world through the Internet. You know, I'm doing a, a panel next week and um, the person that I'm doing the panel with is the Dean Associate of the Asia School of Business, you know, and he would never normally be able to physically attend a panel like this. So, you know, I think both in terms of what you can do in terms of building a sense of community, but also, you know, as individual business people, the ability to be able to network and to build your own communities is incredibly powerful. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you for that. And it sounds like the building blocks are there, uh, both within O2 um, and yeah, and, and and around the world that hopefully we can we can move forward when there is more freedom and we don't just bounce back to the way it was before, but we can actually have that that best of both worlds. So many thanks for your time today, Will, and wishing you the best of luck going forward. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. My pleasure. Mm-hmm.